You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. Welcome to our second lecture on the Holy Trinity. In the first segment, we spoke generally about the teaching of the Church, about the Holy Trinity, its importance, and a little bit about some of the early heresies of Sabellianism, of Arianism, and this whole business of subordinationism of the Son and the Holy Spirit to the Father. In this second talk, or second segment, I want to talk about the existence of the Trinity, how we know that there is such a thing as the Holy Trinity. And we'll do that from the teaching of the Church, from the Old Testament. I mentioned last time there are some hints or some suggestions with regard to the Trinity in the Old Testament, and then the explicit statements of it in the New Testament. Belief in the Trinity is central to our Catholic faith. And it's so important that we should make some effort to try and understand it a little bit better. And what the Church believes and proclaims is that in God there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one of these persons possesses the same identical divine essence. So there's numerical unity in God. There's only one God, but there are three possessors of it. Now, psychology and psychiatry and all these various sciences that deal with the human person are really profiting from the Trinitarian debates and disputes in the first centuries. Because up until the time of the debates about the Trinity, the philosophers did not know there was such a thing as person. It's only within the context of the debates of the threeness in God that the Greeks and Romans came to the notion that there's something in substance, beyond the substance, that possesses the substance. What is that? And they came up with the word person. So person, personality. Psuche is what it means in Greek. And so psychology comes from that Greek word. Psychiatry comes from that. It means the study of the soul. All right, so they have this notion of person. So they make a distinction then between the substance and nature and the person. The person is the one who possesses the nature. In everything we know, you have one person of a rational nature and one substance. But in God, it's not that way. In God, there's only one substance. There's only one nature, but there are three possessors of it. And that's what makes it so difficult for our limited human intelligence is to try and understand some of this, of what God has revealed to us about his own inner nature. So he has one nature and three persons. Now this is something that the philosophers never arrived at and never could arrive at because it has to do with the inner nature of God. We can know something about God from what he's created, from the sun and the moon and the stars and nature. From the study of these things, we can see that there is intelligent design, that they must have been produced by some infinite being. We know some things about God, his goodness, his perfection, his almighty power, and things like that. 
But from philosophy, you never know that there are three persons in God, that there's a community in God. The only way we know that is if God tells us that. And that's the point of the Christian revelation, is that God has told us in Jesus of Nazareth that he is tri-personal, that there are three persons in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as I mentioned in the first talk, there are some hints of this in the Old Testament. Let us make man in our image and likeness. In Isaiah, you have when he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That's a hint. That's kind of an indication, the three holies, that there's a threeness there in God. And some of the appearances of the three angels appearing to Abraham in the book of Genesis, these are kind of hints, indications that in God, there's more than one person, that there's a multiplicity. Now, Jesus in the New Testament, however, testifies to the fact that he has a Father and that there's a Holy Spirit. The clearest text on all of this is the missionary mandate at the end of St. Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says to go into the whole world and teach them everything I told you and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all put on the same level. That's an indication we're talking about a threeness in God, but only one God. Now, if you look through any of the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed that we recite when we say the Rosary, for example, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And we finally end up with a very brief statement with regard to the Holy Spirit. There you have Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. That is the creed that was used in the church in the first three centuries, that people had to accept that creed before they could be baptized and accepted into the Christian community. As a result of the errors of the Arians and the Macedonians and the Sabellians, the two councils in the fourth century, that is Nicaea in 325 and Constantinople I in 381, spelled out that creed. And especially Constantinople I concentrated on the Holy Spirit. Because in the middle of the 4th century, there were those who said that the Holy Spirit is a creature, that the Holy Spirit was created by the second person, created by the Word, that the Holy Spirit is not God. In order to counter that, those errors were rejected in the First Council of Constantinople. That's Istanbul, present-day Turkey. Remember, the Turks conquered that in the 15th century. So, in the First Council of Constantinople, says that, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. So there you have an affirmation in that creed. This is the creed that we recite every Sunday at Mass. First part deals with the Father, second part deals with the Son, third part deals with the Holy Spirit, and the last part deals with the Church and the resurrection of the dead and the life to come. So according to Catholic belief then, God is both one and three. If we ask, what is one in God? The answer is that God is one in being and one substance. And if we ask, what is three in God? It's a legitimate question. What's, I thought there's only one God. What is three in God? The answer to that is that there are three persons 
subsisting in one God. Now, some Christian thinkers in the past, confusing what is meant by substance and person, have held that the three divine persons are distinct individuals like three human beings, like John and Jim and Joe, three persons, three substances, and that there's only a moral unity between the three persons. So they concluded then that there really are three gods who work together in some sort of moral unity. And many contemporary Christians apparently have similar views about God. Sometimes they pray to the Father, sometimes they pray to the Son, sometimes they pray to the Holy Spirit, as if they are like three different gods. Now, in the last talk, I mentioned this priest Sibelius, who taught modalism. In fact, the error is called after his name, Sibelianism. And so he's the one who said that these three names are all synonyms for the one person of God the Father. Consequently, he and some others say, well, who died on the cross? They say, the Father died on the cross because Jesus is just another name for the Father. And the Holy Spirit is another name for the Father. You can see a lot of contradictions enter into this when Jesus is praying, talking to his Father, and speaking about the Father who sent him into the world, and that he honors his Father, and he worships his Father, and so forth. In the year 1215 in Rome, at the Fourth Lateran Council, we have a very clear statement about the Trinity. This is after about a thousand years of discussion and debate and condemnations of various errors and things like that. But the Fourth Lateran Council comes up with a very clear statement of what it is that Catholics believe with regard to the nature of God. So bear with me, I want to read this a little bit because I want to get it exact. This is what they said in 1215. We firmly believe and profess without qualification that there is only one God, eternal, immense, unchangeable, incomprehensible, omnipotent, and indescribable, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one essence, and a substance or nature that is wholly simple. The Father is from no one. Now notice this, where do they come from? The source of it, we're going to be talking about this. The Father is from no one, the Son is from the Father only, and the Holy Spirit is from both the Father and the Son equally. God has no beginning, He always is and always will be. The Father is the progenitor, the Son is the begotten, and the Holy Spirit is proceeding. Now those notions, progenitor and begotten and proceeding, we're going to explain those in future talks. They are all one substance, equally great, equally all-powerful, equally eternal. They are the one and only principle of all things, creator of all things, visible and invisible. Now, some of these statements are a little bit difficult to understand, so in the course of these talks, explaining, I'm going to try and take those various ideas and explain them to you in this series. Now I want to say something about the Old Testament. So we've got to have some hints with regard to the Trinity in the Old Testament and then some statements in the New Testament. 
The full revelation of the Trinity is found, as I said, only in the New Testament. But it was prepared for in the Old Testament. First, God taught Israel about the oneness of God, one God in one substance. Israel did not believe in the Trinity, but the Trinity was prepared from revelations in the Old Testament to accept the revelation of the New Testament. The divinity of the Messiah, as a person distinct from God the Father, is revealed there in the Old Testament. The fathers of the Church quoted many texts from the Old Testament to prove the doctrine of the Trinity. And we have to distinguish in the Old Testament between hints or suggestions from statements which in the light of the New Testament pertain to the mystery of God. And these include texts quoted in the New Testament and texts quoted by the fathers. So some of the hints, for example, if you have your Bible handy, you might want to look at these texts as I make reference to them. One I mentioned before, the plural form of the verb in Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And in the third chapter, God says, after Adam and Eve have sinned, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. That's in Genesis 3.22. That's a hint. It's not proof of the Trinity. It's a hint of the Trinity in the Old Testament. And then when the descendants of Noah and the Tower of Babel, when they're trying to build the Tower of Babel, and they're rebelling against God, God confuses them by confusing their language, which is what Babel means. Genesis 11:7 says, let us go down and confuse their language. Notice the plural, let us go down, confuse their language. These are hints. And also the three times proclaiming the holiness of God in Isaiah 6:3, we read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. So that's another hint that we're talking about three persons in one God. Another one is the burning bush in Exodus 3, verses 2 to 14, when Moses asked him, you know, who shall I say you are when you send me to the Israelites? And the Lord responds and says, I am who am. The burning bush and the response there and the angel are indications that there is a multiplicity of persons in God. Now in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is presented as something divine in Isaiah 11:2, where we read, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking about the Messiah. And also in Wisdom 1:6, Holy Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord has filled the world. And the outpouring of the Spirit on the Messiah in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and on all flesh, which is recounted by Joel in the second chapter, is attributed to the third person by St. Luke in the fourth chapter, verses 17 to 20, and also by St. Peter in the very first Christian sermon in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, where Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So these are indications now, or hints or suggestions from the Old Testament with regard to the multiplicity in God. One other that I might mention from the Psalms, Psalm 33, 6, we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their host by the breath of his mouth. Now, with regard to more direct statements to the Trinity, the Messiah in the Old Testament 
is presented as true God, but a person distinct from God the Father as his own true Son. So in Psalm 110, verse 1, we read, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. That's an indication of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And in the Messianic Psalm 2, verse 7, the psalmist says, He said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. So there's an indication there of the begetting of the Son from eternity on the part of the Father. That's contained in the second Psalm, verse 7. And in Isaiah 9, 6, a beautiful text which we hear at Christmas time in Handel's Messiah, verse 9, 6, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's an indication, again, that you have a multiplicity in God of persons. And then you have the treatment of wisdom in the book of Wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Sirach. For example, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 25, we read, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work. There in these texts from the Old Testament, wisdom is presented as a person. So this is an indication of the personality of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The descriptions of divine wisdom in the wisdom books is more than just a poetic personification. So for example, in Sirach 24, verse 5 and following, we read, I came forth from the mouth of the Most High. That's a personification of wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So there's a pointing to the fact that there is a second person in the Blessed Trinity. And in the Book of Wisdom, 7th chapter, verse 22, For wisdom the fashioner of all things taught me. So once again, wisdom is presented as a person, as having personal characteristics or qualities. Let's move on now to more clear statements in the New Testament. In the New Testament is where we have the very clear revelation of the three persons in the Holy Trinity. The New Testament places in the divine order besides God the Father, also the Word or the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now there are many names given to these persons in the New Testament. The word God is usually reserved to the Father. Theos, ha theos in Greek. That word is pretty much reserved for the Father. He's also called God the Father, our God and Father, our Lord and God. The second person, Jesus, is called the Son. He's called the Word. He's called Jesus. He's called the Christ, which means Messiah. Then that becomes like his name. He's called Jesus Christ, or the Lord, or the Lord Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ, and so forth. You have many variations of this in the letters of St. Paul. The Holy Spirit also has a multiplicity of names. It's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. He's called the Spirit of Truth, and the promise of the Father, he's called the gift of God, the love of the Father and the Son. These are some of the names that are given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Now, the name Father for God occurs about 50 times in the first three Gospels. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. God is called Father about 50 times in those three books. But note, in St. John's Gospel, the Father is called Father... 102 times, 102 times, Jesus or others refer to God the Father in that gospel. 
Now the three persons are linked together more than 40 times in the New Testament. The main texts are, the one I gave you is the missionary mandate, Matthew 28, 19, go into the whole world, teach them what I taught you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now we have something similar in the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. Remember Jesus goes to St. John the Baptist, he goes in the Jordan to be baptized, and while he's in the water, St. Matthew says in the third chapter, verses 16 and 17, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended upon Jesus. And everybody that was there heard a loud voice like thunder say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here you have the son in the water, you have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending upon Jesus and the voice of the Father. All three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's another very important text. And you have a similar thing also in Mark and Luke for the baptism of Jesus. Another one that could be mentioned is the Annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary in the first chapter of St. Luke, 35th verse, where you have St. Luke says, And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There you have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son who is to be born. So there again, we have all three persons. If you're familiar with the scriptures, in chapters 14, 15, and 16 in St. John's Gospel, there are several references to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father sending the Holy Spirit, the Son sending the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, that the Son was sent by the Father, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and so forth. So you have in chapters 14, 15, and 16 in St. John's Gospel, you have a number of references to what I'm talking about. Then think, for example, of the opening words at Mass, that you have the new Mass that we have in English, where this is taken from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians at the end, 13th chapter, 13th verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Every Mass opens with that. There you have all three persons listed by St. Paul. They're linked together. As I said, there are over 40 passages in the New Testament that links Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three distinct and divine persons. They're linked together in a unity of substance or nature. Another text that is very useful for this is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, 4th chapter, verses 4 to 6, where St. Paul says, But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit again, all brought together by St. Paul in that passage from Galatians, 4th chapter, verses 4 to 6. So given that there's only one God, as we have shown, now we see that in God we find Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three really distinct persons. And each one of them is divine, because they all possess the same divine nature. They're not three gods, but one nature, 
possessed by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The revelation of the Trinity, therefore, in the New Testament is the common doctrine of the preaching and creeds of the early church. It is there in a basic or elementary fashion, not developed as later at Nicaea and Constantinople. So it's not explicitly developed at that time, but the basic ingredients of the Trinity, as we now profess it in the Creed at Mass, were present in the first three centuries before these definitions were made. So I'll conclude this segment with this. In our next talk, then we'll move into showing that God the Father is God and the source and origin of all things in God. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.